I guess that's my cue. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everyone, sort of. Bright lights up here. You can't see everybody, but we do have a wonderful handful of folks here today. Thank you for joining us online. I know of some people out there um, who are watching today, so hello to you. Welcome. Uh, to those of you who are uh, visiting, I am not the regular speaker here. We don't have a regular speaker. We have an awesome pastor is who we have, and uh, let me tell you, walking up to stand behind his stand is a little intimidating. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be real honest with you, but that's all right. I feel like what I have to share with you today is something God put on my heart and on a lot of people's heart during this season, and so we are going to go for it. A um, couple of things I've noticed. Um, Lowell must travel with his fancy water cup holder that he has here because it's gone so but that's all right <laughs> we're gonna deal with it uh, I noticed that I can't pull the stand up as gracefully as he does so that's okay too but we're gonna just rock on um, first of all let me say that I'm always amazed at our worship leaders no matter how many of them are up here no matter how many pieces we have I'm just always amazed at how they uh, use their gifts to usher us into uh, a, a place of worship. So thank you for that. And that includes our booth people up there as well, Steve and Terry. Um, so did Arlen scoot out? There she is. I just thank you for using your gifts to do this. And I reflect back to the earliest days at RVC for us. Carol and I volunteered as kids' church leaders, and, and this, is in the, this is in the old, old building, right? So Arlen was one of the kids in there, and I remember several things about you, Arlen, but one is you just played so hard. And at those events we had that were outside, like the Crawfish Fest and all of that, you just played so hard. And I, I took note of that, that, that you know, you came down the slides with enthusiasm. You ran. You replaced. Look, Lord, please raise the stand. That's, that is incredible. Thank you so much, servant, servant Steve. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I was blind, but now I see. So that's great. Thank you. But Arlen played so hard. She would always leave with a, a bee sting, a wasp sting. She had stepped on a rock. She had collided with somebody. Uh, she just gave it her all. So it's so awesome to see you give your all doing this. So thank you, thank you. Um, I, want, I want to talk about Advent. The title today is Advent uh, Hope. This is about hope. It is our hope. And so we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, I want you to just take a moment, find a zone in your heart, your soul, your spirit, and just, you know, close your eyes for a moment if you can. And what I want to do is I want to ask you to, to think about things you hope for right now. And it doesn't matter if they're all spiritual or just, just you know, you hope you have enough gas to get home. Uh, just... Just, let's just think for a minute about the things we hope for in our lives, things we anticipate, things we're waiting for. Lord, we're, we're 
going to spend a few moments today thinking about Advent, this very unique and special time of the year. And it, it means so much to so many people. And sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's a dreaded time of the year. There's so much that goes into this. And what we want to do today is center on our true hope, our hope in the, the, what, what it means for Jesus to have been born, to be uh, on the planet, to have come to take place in all of our lives. And, and we hope for so many things, but in the end, our true hope is in him. So we thank you that we can be in his fellowship today. We thank you so much for that. And we pray that in our time together in the word today that we will be blessed to, to even have a more secure hope in him and in you. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Advent, here we go. Uh, so it's a fancy word. It's a liturgical word. I grew up very conservative Protestant. Didn't hear that a lot. But Advent is uh, from a Latin word, Adventus, and it means wait. And the more definitions that you read, you find these words that pop up all the time. Waiting, anticipating, arriving, and celebrating. And that's something we do all the time, right, with everything. It might be anything from a, a software update that we have been dying to finally get for our computer to run right. Look, I can click on this button, and in 10 minutes, somebody's mopping my floors. This is a great software. You know, and so we wait for it, we hope for it, we anticipate it, and when it comes, we celebrate. That's Advent. We do that at red lights all the time, okay? We wait, and we wait, and we hope that it changes, and we anticipate that that person in front of us will finally move. Sorry, I'm usually that person, right? Honk gently if you see a red, you know, RAV4 with me in it. And then when we're finally moving, we celebrate, right? We do Advent all the time. Teachers, school, students, right? The Christmas break, we live for it. Some people take jobs in that profession just because of that big break that comes, right? So we, we hope for it. We wait for it. We anticipate it. And when it finally comes, we leave the building and say that corny phrase, see you next year, you know, that's so old, so overused. But we do it. Because we're celebrating, we're so excited. And Thanksgiving's kind of that way, but not really. Thanksgiving's kind of the John the Baptist of this situation, just kind of announcing the Christmas break that's coming, right? So that, but we do Advent all the time. We wait, we anticipate. We anticipate something arriving, and then we celebrate. And that's what we do this week. Advent has changed through the years. The focus used to be on the second coming of Christ, but then somewhere around the Middle Ages it shifted, and it's all about anticipating of the baby Jesus being born. And that's where we are. And this week, this is the week to focus on hope. So Advent lasts several weeks. This is the week to focus on hope. Now, we must spend the week focusing on hope. That's more than one day. That's more than 15 minutes. That's a week that we focus on our hope. And why? Because it must be securely lodged in us. Because one kick in the gut from life can challenge it. 
So it needs to be securely lodged, our hope, our hope in Jesus, our, our hope in God, right, to be with us, securely lodged in there. You know, we hope for global things. We hope for things in our country to go a certain way. We hope this virus goes away soon. We hope for a lot of things. But, man, when it's something in your own life that kicks you and you suffer, all that kind of gets blurred background. And it's all about whatever's right here that you're suffering with. And that's why we need to spend time thinking of our hope and where it lies. Right? I spoke... um, to, uh, I didn't speak to, I got a Facebook message from a friend from Guatemala, just a casual acquaintance from, from a trip many years ago. And we've stayed in touch, and it's been so, so wonderful for so many reasons just to have that connection, you know. But, and it's always been just casual back and forth, how's your family, God bless you, God's so faithful, that kind of thing. But this time it was... This pandemic has the economy so bad around here, I'm having trouble making it. I don't know how to make ends meet sometimes. And he said, and if you've known people from Guatemala, you get this. They're so genuinely expressive in the way they they are. He said, my body hurts at night, making it difficult to sleep because of I, I don't know how I'm going to provide. But he said, my faith is in God. My strength is in God. And he will provide a solution. But, but when I think about our reasons to have hope securely lodged, I think of that. When those things hit, we need to know exactly where our hope lies. My uh, daughter had a uh, bridesmaid, a former roommate. Uh, just, a, you know, just one of those... Uh, people full of, full of happiness and joy and smiles and laughter and all of that and doing the college thing, lost both parents and a grandparent on the same day from an accident. If you don't know where your hope really lies and something like that hits, it's a, des- it's a desperate, desperate time. So that's why we're spending time during this week of Advent thinking about hope, where our hope lies. And so... Let's move. Let's move on. All right. So uh, some famous people have neat things to say about Advent, and I just loved it because I grew up not really hearing a lot about it, you know? And so uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the celebration of Advent is possible only for those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. That's great definition. Here's Mother Teresa at the Christmas When Christ comes, will he find a warm heart? Mark the season of Advent by loving and serving the others with God's own love and concern. Beautiful. Here's Henry Nouwen. The Lord is coming, always coming. When you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment of your life. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the coming Lord, these are all just wonderful definitions and thoughts about Advent. All right, so we go to our, our um, scripture that we go to every year at this time, Luke chapter 2, 
We're not going to pull it up just yet, but we're going to get to it in just a moment. I want to I build some things. You know, I love how I always borrow from Lowell. You know, he's, 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 the, he's the preacher rock star for me. I have all his CDs. I've seen all of his concerts. You know, if he had a T-shirt, I would have it, you know. So I love how he says we're going to talk about something. He said, but in order to talk about something, we have to talk, talk about something and something and something. I love that pattern. Well, that's, we're going to talk about the manger and, and baby Jesus, but to do that, we're going to have to talk about uh, prophecies. We're going to have to talk about shepherds. We're going to have to talk about Mary and Joseph, all right, before we get to that. First, um, I want to share with you, I'm in preparation for this, uh, did some studying and did, did some communicating with a, 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 a wonderful brother in Christ of mine who's a pastor, a preacher. He lives in Dallas and or Austin now, somewhere in there, beautiful uh, hill country of Texas. And uh, we had just this lovely conversation. So you're going to hear me reference that conversation a little bit. You're going to hear me reference um, something called the Mishnah. And these are the oral traditions uh, of the Jewish people that were documented. It's the first part of the Talmud, all right? So the, what it is is just something that adds spice uh, to, to when you talk about culture. You know, you can, you, can get, you can read from this and go, oh, my goodness, that's how, that's how Jewish people did hospitality? Wow, that really adds to uh, something in the scripture, you know, in this case, Mary and Joseph trying to find a place to stay. So you're going to hear me refer to that a, a time or two just to add a little bit of enhancement to uh, what we've come so familiar with in our, our Christmas story. And I love things like that. Um, but anyway, again, we can't understand all of Luke 2 without first talking about prophecies. And, and all I really want to say at this point is there's so many prophecies that point to what happened that late night in Bethlehem. So many. And I, I don't even have time to read them all, but here are some of the, the ones that are famous, all right? So Jeremiah 23, 5, the Messiah will be a descendant of David. So we know that Jesus will be in the line of David. Um, Micah 5, 2, the true Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, written in 8th century B.C., right? So these prophecies are so accurate and so uh, foreshadowing. And it's, it's just amazing when you think about the time difference between when they said it and when it happened. And it just builds your faith. It builds your faith. Isaiah seven fourteen, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Isaiah, hundreds of years earlier, right? So we have to talk about prophecies. That's where, that's where this starts, right? And so people, especially uh, priests, would have been so familiar with these prophecies. They would, have, they would have known them. And they would have lived in expectation of them being fulfilled. All right, so that's the prophecy. All right, the plan. God was obviously very intentional in his plan to save mankind. Very intentional. Uh, this was not random. Uh, this is not spur of the moment, God. This is very well planned. Perfect in every way, right? So he was very intentional in, and then specifically in what we're talking about today, he was intentional in replacing the old system of sacrifice, animal sacrifice, sheep, lambs, sacrifice. 
So Jesus is going to become that sacrifice for all, forever, right? But in, in that time period, you know, these prophecies were known and people lived in anticipation, right? Waiting, especially these priests that were most familiar with the law. All right, so all these pieces of the puzzle God had in place and just drop those last two or three late one night in Bethlehem. It's just beautiful how that happens. And that's, our, that's part of our hope is that when you apply this personally, God did all this so you and I can have a relationship with that baby and live in hope now and hope for the time to come that is coming. No more sacrificial lambs or any system of the sort. Our, our hope is based not just on the fact that God did all this, but listen, how he did it. How he did it makes me love him so much. It's how he did it. And that's where we want to go now. All right, so we said we had to talk about Joseph and Mary. All right, and from this point to the very end of the sermon, I want you to sense the, the perfect Father God and his love, just his sheer love for humanity. So, Mary and Joseph. Mary, just a little bit about them. You know, you can do a lot of research to find out more about the, uh, what the culture would have been like, what the, what the economy would have been like when they lived. But suffice it to say, Mary was born into a peasant family. All right, She would have had a lot of chores. She would have known hard work. She would have known hard times. She was accustomed to working hard. Um, her family would have known hard times, right? So that's Mary, young, 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 teenager Mary, right? So the Joseph, likely a builder and a laborer. Some of them say uh, uh, a carpenter. Not sure about that, but clearly uh, knew how to build a house. He would have had some income, uh, but taxes were so high. Uh, it would have been a stretch. He wouldn't have been rich by any means at all. Uh, he would have, uh, you know, just some things about he and Mary. He was betrothed to Mary. Now, there's one of those religious words we hear from time to time. I'm not even religious, legal. Betrothed to be married. This wasn't just, hey, let's, we're going to get married someday, aren't we? No, it was, it was a deal. It was a, it was a legal thing. You would have had to have an annulment to get out of it. So it was a significant betrothed right? Very significant. So much so that when Mary was pregnant, Joseph could have taken her to trial and had her stoned, which is no fun to think about at all, but that's the truth of, of, of the law. Um, so uh, some say that there's indications that he didn't have any much, in, much money because of the type of sacrifices he purchased on the way, he, pigeons and turtle doves instead of lamb so there's indication that he had had some money but just not much and the government took a whole bunch of it you know and then uh, but just the nature of his work he would not have been a wealthy person all right so there's joseph and mary and we all are very familiar with their story okay the good shepherds and bad shepherds we're going to talk about the shepherds for just a moment now i'm just going to admit to you right up front i've always just said shepherds okay shepherds oh yes you did a cool skit last, sorry, online people, I'm pointing to somebody that did a skit last year <laughs> about shepherds. Um, but I've always just kind of lumped them in there, shepherds, all right? Must have been a dirty job, you know, 
They couldn't have made any money. You know, I've kind of had them lumped. There was good shepherds. There were bad shepherds, right? And the um, early reputation of shepherds was, was strong. Man, you read the Old Testament, and you think shepherds, they were the ones on the posters in people's rooms, you know, probably had their favorite strong shepherd, you know, leads this huge flock, you know, early that's how it was. But as you move along, especially when uh, they migrated to Egypt, you find their reputation suffers a little bit. Not sure it was justly, but it suffers. Pharaoh, not a fan of shepherds. And so what is probably happening there is that as they move shepherds through the fields and get closer to Egyptian farmers, because farming was the thing, uh, that probably created a bit of a conflict there as the sheep and the goats probably helped themselves to some buffets along the way that stirred up the farmers, right? So, but as you go along, you see that society starts looking down on shepherds, has them on the bottom rung of the social strata, right? And then, so... Uh, David comes along, and he, he rejuvenates the profession of shepherds, right? Gets them back, you know, then it's cool again. But then in the New Testament, you don't hear much about them at all. However, uh, we always find that God is likened to a shepherd, and Jesus himself is the good shepherd and talks about shepherds. Leaders of the church, pastor, shepherds, so Clearly, the qualities of a shepherd are notable and uh, strong. Now, there were bad shepherds, and you can read about those in, in a lot of history. This Mishnah I referred to, man, there were, some, there were some rough ones out there. Thieves, robbers, you know, some tough folks. But shepherding was uh, a noble profession throughout. Now... Uh, we want to talk about the job description. Everybody's applied for a job, right? You get that description. Here you go. You want to apply for shepherd? Here we go. Let me tell you. This is based on the scriptures right here. First of all, you got to be willing to work all day, all day, right? And all night. <laughs> so that whittles down the pool of applicants really pretty quick there. Uh, you got to know something about guarding sheep. You have to understand finances because if you are hired to watch over my 50 sheep and two of them come up missing, guess who's going to pay me for those sheep, right? So you got to understand finances. You got to understand the seasons because you got to do sheep differently when it's hot than when it's cold. You got to do sheep differently when it's dry than when it's wet. He, um, Shepherd had to, you, you've got to know when to lead them to high ground and when to lead them to low ground and try to get them in a cave. You have to know how to use a rod. It's not just a rod. At the end of that rod's a pretty sharp little instrument so that you can fight off the hyenas that may come after your sheep or the robbers that may want to steal some of your sheep. The rod. You also got to use that rod to go along the sheep's coat to check their skin. So you got to know how to do that. And then you got to know how to use that staff as a cane and as a way to help guide the sheep. So there's your job description. Anybody want to sign? Oh, it doesn't pay a lot. <laughs> so if you want to sign up, that's the deal. That's the application. But because of all these qualities, Jesus is likened to a sheep. Um, 
as a, Isaiah 41, for, verse 1, likens God to a shepherd. And here's just his own job description. Tends his flock like a shepherd. Knows how many are in the flock. Waters uh, them properly. Uh, clean and still water is where you have to take these sheep. Didn't even know that. Can't take them to a stream that's rough, that's running, making a lot of racket. Those sheep are just going to recoil and, and be uh, giddy. Not, uh, they're going to be jittery around water that's flowing. You got to say, by the still waters, right? So that's, that's, what, uh, that's part of what they do. Um, they go after lost sheep. They stay awake to protect them. Gently lead them when they're having their babies. So all of that is the quality of a shepherd. Now, there were two kinds. There was the common shepherd that just shepherded out there in the wilderness, out there with some smaller flocks. And then there were something called temple shepherds. And we're going to talk about them just for a moment. Uh, temple shepherds would have probably been those closest to Bethlehem. And we're going to nail that down just a little bit more as we move along because it sort of uh, helps us understand a few things. Um, you hear about flocks in the field in Scripture. We'll see it in a minute in Luke 2. Flocks in the field near Bethlehem. Okay, That identifies the, that type of shepherd. They were probably, probably, hear that? Probably the, the shepherds that were tending sheep that were used in the sacrificial system in Bethlehem. So priests were, pro, were over these shepherds. And they watched over these special sheep that were used in the sacrificial system. That's how this appears to be. And then you had uh, shepherds that had their flocks way out there in the wilderness. So there's two different playing fields. Very, very interesting. And that's something I wasn't very familiar with at the time. Um, so... Um, now, to, to, to sort of just investigate that for just a moment, and then we're going to start bringing this thing home, okay? Um, people that believe that those shepherds were temple shepherds point to a prophecy, and it's in the book of Micah. And it's, uh, Micah is this great uh, prophecy. If you, man, you can read it pretty quick. Micah reproaches the unjust leaders, cares a lot about defending the rights of the poor, uh, it's really a good, uh, good read, the book of Micah. But always looking forward to a time of peace, and specifically peace brought by a kingship from the Davidic uh, line, from the line of David. So they point to this because it says this, and this is, I don't have it up there, but it's in Micah. Um, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. All right, so we have Micah specifically saying Bethlehem. And again, that's 8th century B.C. All right, so Luke records that these shepherds are angels who appeared to be living in the fields nearby Bethlehem. And again, that seems to point to the fact that they might have been temple shepherds. Uh, the Mishnah says that the Messiah would be revealed in the tower of the flock. All right, and so uh, this Mishnah uses that phrase tower of the flock to, to uh, translate it to a tower that was literally a tower 
that was near Bethlehem. Now, that's, that's debated, but that's what is pointed to to say these were probably temple shepherds. Um, so, as we move along, we find that um, the temple, just again to reiterate this, these temple shepherds would have been close to Bethlehem. More common shepherds would have been further out into the wilderness. Um, the thing about this is the temple shepherds would have been more familiar with prophecies. They would have had a greater understanding of what these prophecies said and what their work was all about with the sacrificial system and what that pointed to in the future. So that is very much um, a possibility. Uh, they would understand some of the language that they heard from the angels, and they would have recognized some things in the manger that we'll see in just a moment. Um, and they possibly would have had more clout, you know. And when it came time to leave the manger and the shepherds told everybody they saw, they would have had a little more clout and been more believable than perhaps the common shepherds. And again, this is all perhaps. The, the big umbrella is shepherds and what they did for a living and what kind of people they were. That's the big point. Um, but they would have been a familiar with mangers. And then we find Luke 2 that they run with haste to the manger. Does it go to a manger in Bethlehem? Well, th that... And this is the last thing I'll say that sort of makes me think these were temple shepherds, is they would have known where to go. They would have known where these mangers were, what they were for, and would have known where to go. If, uh, 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 if, if somebody told Georgia, uh, Charlie's going to be at a restaurant, it's Friday, and Charlie's going to be at a restaurant in Shreveport, Bossier. Quick, go find him. That would have been, you know, okay to start with A, Applebee's, or, you know, I, I don't know. But there's somebody I eat with all the time on Fridays, and if you told him, Charlie's going to be at a restaurant in Treeport and Bozier, go with haste, find him, he'd go, okay, I either have to go to East Washington Street off of Geary to Papa's Burgers, or I got to get down here to Highway 80 to Shane's, because he's going to be in one of those two places. That's kind of what I think these temple shepherds would have been able to do when they were told the baby's in a manger. They would have known more about where to go. All right, so that's a lot of history stuff. It's a lot of things that don't really, uh, I mean, it's interesting. It adds accent. It explains a few things. But the point, again, is shepherds and the type of work they do. So uh, we're getting ready to read Luke 2. But, uh, you know, it says that when the shepherds, when the angels came, and spoke to uh, these shepherds that they were terrified, terrified, right? So I guess so, <laughs> you know, just even if they knew kind of what that was all about, they would be terrified. Let me give you this little example, right? So you and I are waiting for the second coming of Christ. We're, we're even ready. How many times during this whole pandemic have we said, Lord, just come on, you know, and get us, or, or, or turn this page, come Lord, and we know about all of that. But if it happened, <laughs> we would be terrified. Like, for example, if me and you are sitting here, and I'm up here rattling on things, um, oh, by the way, <laughs> Advent, 
you're probably waiting on me to shut up. You're probably anticipating lunch, right, at this point. It's coming. It's coming. It, it'll arrive, and you can celebrate and eat lunch. But, you, but back to that, if, if we were sitting here and uh, Mr. Foshi said, got up and talked to Steve and said, Steve, are you hearing a sound out there? Sounds kind of trumpet-like, you know. Sounds really loud. What is? Have you got something potted up too high on the board? And Steve, no, no, I don't know what that is. And then we would feel rumblings, perhaps, you know, and we go, oh, what is that? Is that a B-52? If it is, it's like 400,000 of them. What is going on? And then if other things started to transpire, we, even though we know and we're looking forward to the second coming, we would be freaking out. So I can just imagine what would have happened to a shepherd. And if it was a temple shepherd that knew something about the, the prophecies and the baby and the Savior, sacrifice once for all, knew about that, but still an angel of, and a host of people, of heavenly hosts, broke into the night, into your space, even though you knew that, you would be terrified. And they were terrified, it says. Um, so you can put yourself in their shoes for just a moment and probably feel that. All right, so let's do it. Let's go to Luke 2 and verse 1 through 20. We're going to read through that, taking some very short pauses uh, as we close out this morning. All right, so in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world, the entire Roman world. Now, when you dig into this and start studying it, you're going to find people on two sides of this. There wasn't a census during that time. And then you're going to find others that say, well, maybe the census wasn't ordered at that time, but it was carried out over time. And this is when Joseph and Mary would have left to go uh, back to his hometown. Just some little uh, history funsies there for a second. Um, this was the first census that took place while Carinus was governor of Syria. Probably just botched his name big time. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Hello, Micah um, prophecy. You know, that gives clout to Micah's prophecy, meaning this, anticipating kingship from Bethlehem in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Just, we, we fly through that so fast. If you've had children, not had children, you've known people that had children, the time for the child to be born is, there's so many emotions tied to that and feelings. So we don't want to read about, through that really quick. This young teenager betrothed to be married, traveled a dangerous, that's another thing we know about Joseph. This was a dangerous trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So he was probably a very protective person. 
the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Pause here just for a second. Now, wrapped him in cloth. Y'all know some of the other versions and what that says, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Have you seen that one? Here's something very interesting. When these perfect lambs were taken from the fields to the priest, where they would be prepared for, for birth, and then when that baby was born, they wrapped them in swaddling clothes. And they did that so that this baby would not hurt himself. And they would wrap them tightly in these swaddling clothes and place them in a, in a trough while other inspections and things took place. And so here we go with the perfect parallel. Here's baby Jesus born, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger just like the sacrificial lamb. Now this makes me think maybe those were temple shepherds because that would have resonated immediately. They would have started putting things together very quickly. All right, and the shepherds were shepherds, there it is, living out in the fields nearby. Not out in the wilderness, but in fields nearby Bethlehem. Keeping watch over their flock at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. To you, he is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That is sacrificial talk, conversation, language. Suddenly a great uh, company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and, uh, and gone, in the gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which uh, the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, you just love Mary for so many reasons. But look at her, her spirit here. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I know the day uh, our firstborn was born, I had a little notepad. And I looked like some kind of new dad nerd. I was writing down everything, everything I felt, everything I saw, everything that just had meaning. I was just sketching it down. And now I can't read it because when I get about, well, I can read it. I mean, I can't read it and finish it without crying. And so I think about Mary having this baby under all these circumstances. And she's quiet and she's pondering things in her heart. All right. Here we go. The shepherds 
uh, returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were our first evangelists, right? They leave there and all they can do is tell people about Christ. Good thing for us to think about. I like, it's Eugene Peterson in the message. He says something about they let loose. They, you know, they let loose. And, you know, that, that just paints a good picture, too, of them going back across the fields, letting loose with everything they had seen. All right, so let's just find out our takeaways here and send you to lunch, all right? So uh, what are our takeaways? First of all, uh, we serve a God who chose Joseph and Mary. To, to be the parents. Humble, hardworking, not a lot of resource, certainly not high society. That's who the God we serve picked. <laughs> That's just crazy, but it's real. And what is a herald anyway? <laughs> Hark the herald angels sing. What is a herald? Well, we do this in our culture when we have babies. We, 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 now we go to something like, uh, what's it called? Fish, spot, fish, spot. What's that called? Where you make your own cards, you know, online. I forget it. Anyway, we make our own little cards, you know. Oh, so-and-so was born on this day at this time. We're the proud parents. Here's a picture. And, and we send them out. People up there in the higher rungs of society don't go to, man. Wow. Websites, they make their own cards. They hire them done. And people in the society even higher than that put a little gold leaf on there. I mean, they get with it, right, on these announcements. That's a herald. We're heralding the birth of a child. And in this culture, again, drawing from things I learned from the Mishnah, in this culture, they did that. And the high society people had, had hired heralders to go out where there were groups of people and announce the birth of their baby. Mary and Joseph, didn't, they had people, but they didn't have nickels to rub together. They couldn't have heralded anything. But God took care of it by breaking into history, by announcing it with heavenly hosts about this baby. There's your herald, high society people. You know, I love y'all too, but, but I'm just saying, you're not going to top Mary and Joseph's herald that they got from their loving God. He broke the news to shepherds. Now, all that stuff I told you about temple shepherds, common shepherds, that's all. Pro there's a lot of truth in that, and it's fun to think about. But the point is this, God picks shepherds, shepherds that do what we read in that job description. Not a high-ranking palace official, not a king. Shepherds. The God we love picked shepherds. So how is it good news and great joy to us today on this side of the birth? Hebrews 10.10 says, All who believe have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. That baby became the sacrifice for once and for all. 
That's how it's good news. The baby we focus on during this Advent season was the sacrificial lamb. And I can't imagine the bittersweetness of anybody that may have been in the manger that was familiar with the prophecy and did get over the terrified feeling and put this together and see this baby wrapped in sacramental garb. There would have been the joy of the new birth. The waiting was over but the reality that this would be the sacrifice. Luke 2 is good news for all, and it's for all good news. And this is what I want to leave you with today. In a short video, short, like a few seconds. Um, hey, when Lowell gets out of town, I just start talking and I go probably too long. You know, but it's just this rare opportunity that I, I cherish. All right, I'm sorry if I've gone. All right, waiting, anticipating, celebrating. I got it. It's good for those people. If you've used the phrase, those people, Luke 2 is for those people. I don't know what those people may mean. If my brother Ron is watching today, those people would be those Falcons fans, right? So those people, right? Luke 2 is for those people, whatever those people are. Whether we like them or not, Luke 2 is for them. Every leader, every country, every person, Luke 2 is for them. And the question is, will we make room in our hearts for him? And so Advent is for, to me, two things. It's to think of my hope. Where does it really, truly lie? And then secondly, do I make room for him? All right. So a lot of times when I preach, a lot of times, <laughs> There aren't a lot of times. There are some times. Uh, I'll play a video that sort of strikes, strikes an emotional nerve because I, I, I think there's a value in that. This is more of a fun video to watch. It's about a couple minutes maybe. I, I don't remember. But I just want to set it up for you. You know the passage about sheep and they hear their shepherd's voice and recognize it? And that's a, a metaphor for us recognizing the voice of Christ in our lives. It is so real. And I want you to watch this short video. Then we're going to say a prayer. The band's going to come up and we're going to close. But if y'all will just roll this video. It's a, it's a tour. And it's, they're demonstrating that very fact. That shepherds recognize, uh, sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. Right? Okay. So we'll just let that roll.
So I'm not sure that that wasn't kind of an emotional video. But so uh, I leave you with an Advent thought, and that is to make room for Christ in your heart and listen for his voice. We will hear it. So let's pray, and we will be dismissed.